Hello and welcome to In the Cactus. I'm Siobhan Jones and I'll be your host as we power through difficulties together with hope. If you're in the cactus, a troubling situation like bullying, or want to help someone who is, this is the show for you. Before we get started, a quick message. If life is in danger, call triple zero. If you're thinking about suicide or are in crisis, call Lifeline at any time on 13 11 14. In this episode of In the Cactus, I'm joined by Jesse Mitchell, Senior Advisor, Bullying at the Alana and Madeline Foundation. We discuss the latest research about the costs of bullying and the need for more research on successful bullying prevention strategies. Jesse Mitchell, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Can you tell us what is the origin of the Alana and Madeline Foundation? So, look, some of your listeners um, may remember that our foundation had its origins on the 28th of April in 1996 at Port Arthur in Tasmania um, when 35 people tragically lost their lives. Uh, and among them were Alana and Madeline Mikak, who were aged um, six and three, along with their mother. Uh, and because of this um, terrible act of violence, Alana and Madeline's father, Walter Mikak, and a small group of volunteers uh, worked to set up the Alana and Madeline Foundation um, with the belief that all children should have a childhood that is happy and safe uh, without being subjected to any form of violence. And now it's um, more than 20 years down the track and we're a leading national not-for-profit Uh, and we care for children who've experienced or witnessed um, serious violence. We also reduce the incidence of bullying and cyberbullying and other online risks, and we advocate for the safety and wellbeing of all children. And can you tell us why do you do the work that you do? Um, Well, I've come from, I guess, a mixed background of, of professional spaces. I'd previously worked in the youth services sector and before that in the university sector. Um, But I suppose one of the the great pleasures of working at the Alana and Madeline Foundation is that they keep the focus uh, very squarely on children's well-being and safety and acting in the best interests of children. And it's such a a privilege to be able to to use my abilities to work in that space. What does the latest research say about the costs of bullying in society, I guess from the emotional and the psychological aspects to the economic and social aspects? Um, So I suppose it's helpful to start by um, talking about what bullying is um, and it's what occurs when an individual or perhaps a group of people who have more power in a certain situation repeatedly and deliberately cause harm to somebody else who feels helpless to respond. And bullying can take physical or verbal forms. Bullying can also be a social phenomenon. And of course, increasingly, we're seeing um, growing concerns about bullying online. And um, while estimates do vary, um, the best estimate is that approximately one in four school-aged children have been bullied recently. Um, And we know that bullying has quite significant costs, um, certainly to the individual. So it's been linked to problems of mental health, sleeping difficulties, Uh, low self-esteem, increased use of alcohol and other drugs, um, as well as risks around school disengagement. Uh, We know that bullying often impacts the entire family of the child who has been bullied. Um, And we know that it's associated with harm to those who witness it and and sometimes to those who perpetrate it as well. And there was a really interesting piece of research that was released um, in 2018 
um, when the National Centre Against Bullying and the Yolanda and Madeline Foundation partnered with PricewaterhouseCoopers to look at the economic costs of bullying. Um, and they undertook a, a really wide-ranging scope of about 60 academic articles as well as data from state and federal governments and the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Um, and they'd found that for each individual school year group, the costs associated with bullying came to around $2.3 billion over the, the life cycle of that young person. So that's over the 13 years spent at school and then for 20 years afterwards. And when they looked at what those costs were, um, they were very wide-ranging costs. So there's the time that's spent by school staff trying to address bullying and all the things they might have been doing if they hadn't had to do that. Uh, there's the cost to parents and carers of supervising students who've missed school due to bullying, and that might be students who are refusing to go to school because they've been bullied, or it might be students who've bullied others who are now on suspension or exclusion from school. There's the costs of people reaching out to mental health services, GPs, hospitals, social workers. There's the, in some cases, the involvement of police in more serious cases. There's the issue of the damage that bullying can do to a student's academic performance and the possible consequent reduction of their um, potential to, to build a, a profitable career as an adult. And then there's the issue of the, the lost economic contributions of people who die by suicide following an experience of bullying, as well as concerns about ongoing aggressive behaviour by bullying perpetrators later on in life. So while some of this is difficult to calculate with complete precision, I think it's really valuable because it makes us take a broader look at the bigger picture and to say that the impacts of bullying don't end just because the bullying episode is now over. Yeah, certainly. And part of what you've just mentioned also speaks to chronic conditions. So mm. my understanding is that research also looked at the kinds of chronic conditions that people who are bullied can then go on to experience. So what are those kinds of chronic conditions? Mm. Well, look, as, as we're starting to learn, things like um, mental health are obviously very complex. And when someone has, for example, a long-term mental health condition, there may be a number of causal factors that have fed into that. Um, but we do know that bullying is one of the factors that is associated with a range of mental health concerns. And these can include things like depression and anxiety, which can um, linger in a person's life for a long time afterwards. Uh, bullying has also been associated with things like self-harm and suicide ideation, although once again, obviously, these are complicated factors in a young person's life but bullying is recognised as, as something that is associated with those mental health concerns. Yeah, and something that I read as well was that it is associated, um, you know, in some circumstances with people who then go on to develop eating disorders. Is that your understanding too? Um, there certainly does seem to be a correlation whereby um, young people who've had uh, problems around eating habits or problems around being overweight um, do seem to have shown a higher risk or a higher um, rate of experience of bullying. And it, it can be something that's gone both ways or either way. So they may be being bullied in part because they're seen as having this vulnerability around their eating habits or their weight. Or they may have developed those, um, I guess, eating habits of concern uh, as partly as a response to an experience of bullying. So it can be something that's gone either way. Can you tell us what are the risk factors for being bullied? 
Well, I think it's really important to recognise that um, children who've been bullied and children who bully others um, do come in different shapes and sizes. And this is something that that could potentially affect any child. Um, So it's really important that we, I guess, don't look at the child as being the cause of that problem. It's obviously not their fault and it is something that could happen to anyone. Having said that, we do know that students who bully others tend to be more likely to target other students who seem to have less power or less popularity or less protection. Um, So students who can be especially vulnerable to bullying might include a student who is isolated or unpopular with their peers. It might be a student who is uh, perhaps unhappy at home or has other personal difficulties. It might be a student who has a disability, or it may be a student who's experiencing racism or other forms of marginalisation. But having said that, I would reiterate, you know, this is something that could affect any student. And in Australia, there's no single national data source on children who experience bullying. So how do we know about the prevalence of bullying is the first part of that question. And then Mm -hmm. the second part is, how do we know if what we are doing is effective? So measuring the prevalence of bullying is a really interesting challenge. Um, And it's been measured, um, I think some of the best recent studies that have measured it have been uh, representative population-wide surveys. Um, So a really good one that was done a year or so ago was done by the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, um, who worked out a, a representative poll of parents from all around the country and asked them about their families' experiences of bullying. Um, And I believe Mission Australia does a similar thing with their very large-scale surveys of teenage young people in Australia. Having said that, um, bullying can be a difficult thing to measure precisely, and sometimes that's because people have slightly different understandings of what it means, or it could be because people are reluctant to disclose. Even in a survey, it can be a very sensitive topic. So we are still learning there. But around about that one in four figure seems to be the place where most researchers land, more or less. In terms of how we measure whether what we know we're doing is effective, um, that is, again, a really interesting one. I think what's useful there are some of the longitudinal surveys that have been done with researchers around the world who've come back to school communities over a long period of time to see what effect their intervention has had. Um, And also hearing feedback from students, I think, is really critical around their perception of how their school communities have changed or not changed over time. Um, I would say that um, in our own work with schools, um, and especially through the eSmart Schools framework that we support at the foundation, we've seen that while there's no one-size-fits-all model to addressing bullying, we have found that schools which tend to get relatively good results in preventing and addressing bullying tend to have certain characteristics in common. So these include really strong support from the school leadership for addressing bullying. So it needs to come from principals, school council, people who have those senior decision-making roles. These schools tend to have staff who've been really well supported to understand and respond to bullying and other threats to children's safety. They tend to have things like really clear policies and procedures that are in place before anything goes wrong. Um, They have good relationships with parents and with the wider community. They have a curriculum that addresses things like social and emotional skills and respectful conduct. Um, They have really good supervision of both physical and technological spaces. They have reporting systems that students trust. 
and they meaningfully involve students themselves in making decisions. And when we think about all the work that's involved just in getting those things in place, it really does give us an indication of of what a, a weight this is that schools are carrying and how much work some schools have put into addressing it. What actually works and what should we avoid? It's a really interesting question because even interventions that have shown pretty good results and which are regarded as high quality still don't address every single instance and they don't work for every single family at that school. So it is going to be incredibly important that we keep on with high quality research and keep listening to families and students and teachers about what their experiences have been. Um, I think some of the approaches that have shown pretty good success have tended to involve the wider community of students around the child who's been bullied. So it can involve um, bringing in other students to support the child who's been bullied or to be a positive influence, um, as well as coaching students to change their behaviour in the classroom. You know, there are some other approaches that are used as well, and sometimes schools like to strengthen the student who has been bullied. Now, that can be a controversial approach because we don't want to make that student feel like they're to blame. But on the other hand, if we can build up a stronger friendship group around that student or involve them in positive decision making, um, it may put them in a more empowered space within that school. Um, And some um, schools, of course, will use sanctions that are judged to be proportionate to the bullying and likely to deter the students. I think in terms of things to avoid, probably some of the things that it's good to stay away from would be a completely punitive approach um, that doesn't bring in any kind of social strengthening or any kind of improved relationships. If it's just a a purely punishment-based approach, um, that can make students wary about making a report because they're concerned about repercussions. And it can leave a a classroom that feels very divided or very hostile. So we wouldn't usually advise schools to use punishment only. Um, And we also wouldn't advise schools simply to focus on uh, trying to change the student who has been bullied. So even if that student has some vulnerabilities and could use some strategies to um, strengthen them a little bit, uh, we wouldn't want to see an approach that made them feel like they were to blame or like they were the problem here. So I think those are the two spaces to particularly stay away from. I guess in some situations, bullies themselves may not actually feel remorse for their behaviour. They may not see themselves as a bully, really. Interventions might fail there. So should bullying responses be focusing more on helping the person who's displaying those bullying behaviours, I suppose, develop a little bit more empathy around situations? Mm. Look, the building of empathy skills and concern for others, it is so vital. Um, It's not something children are naturally born knowing how to do. It is something they'll learn from adults and from the other students around them. I think some steps that are particularly important there when we can um, is to meaningfully involve families in interventions in a way that's positive and that strengthens family relationships and that allows the student to be supported at home as well as at school. And building classrooms where there is an overall culture of respect and of concern for other people seems to make a big difference. We do know that bullying is more likely to happen in a classroom where bullying behaviours are normalised. So students are more likely to bully others if they see other people around them doing bullying and getting away with it. So the more we can change that broader culture of the overall classroom, the more the risk of that behaviour gets reduced. 
Jesse, what's a common myth about bullying that you would love to debunk? Oh, um, look, I'd love to debunk the idea that cyberbullying is easy to deal with. There is a perception that, hey, you just need to block that person or stop using your device and everything will be fine. Uh, I think we need to recognise that young Australians especially rely very heavily on technology, uh, you know, for everything from their social connections right through to their actual education. Um, So simply saying, oh, we'll stop using your phone isn't really a very practical approach. Uh, And while blocking someone who's bullied you online can be helpful, and for some young people that's all they need to do, but in a lot of cases, cyberbullying may come from different multiple accounts. Uh, it might be being shared or liked by big groups of people. And even if the person who's been bullied removes themselves from that situation, all of that hurtful or threatening material might still be circulating amongst their classmates or amongst other people they know. And knowing that other people are saying really vicious stuff about you and that other people are looking at it uh, can be a great source of anxiety, even if you've removed yourself from that space. Plus, there is also um, the really important fact that many and perhaps most students who get bullied online know the people who are doing it face-to-face, and that bullying might be happening in school settings and other settings as well. So I think the more we can shift people to seeing cyberbullying as a problem of relationships and community, uh, the better. It's not something that can always be solved by, by pressing a button. Do you think we'll ever get rid of bullying? That's a really fascinating question. I think it is a tall order, but I would encourage people to reflect on what we've already achieved. Um, Those of us who went to school in, say, the 80s uh, can remember a time when bullying was so normalised socially, uh, barely even seen as a problem except to the people who were hurt by it. I think in the last couple of decades, we've seen a massive cultural shift to a point now where most of the community is at least in theory, really quite opposed to bullying. I think that's something to celebrate the progress that we've already made and to commit to continuing that. I'd also say that most adults don't accept that bullying is okay in places like the workplace. Um, When it happens in an adult situation, we usually accept that that's not all right and we commit to changing it. I don't think we can say, therefore, that it's something children should have to accept. Uh, And I think schools in particular provide us with a wonderful opportunity to deal with some of these behaviours early in life. If bullying is happening in front of you, should you leave the group or say something? That's a really difficult call, and it's going to be difficult, or different rather, um, for every individual situation. If you are witnessing bullying, And if it is a situation that simply does not feel safe for you to be part of, the least thing you can do is not take part in the bullying. So not laughing, not encouraging, not hanging around to watch it. If you can do nothing else, then at least don't support it. If you do have the sort of relationship with the person who is doing the bullying where you think, no, I could talk to them about this, I do have some influence there, or I do feel confident talking to this person. It is great if you can take them aside and make clear that what just happened was not okay, that you don't want to see it happening again, um, that you're very concerned about the person who's just been harmed. If that's not something you're able to do, then we do suggest you make contact with the person who has been bullied, um, that you check in how they're feeling, you make clear that what just happened was not okay with you. 
Um, you volunteer to help them make a report if they would like to. So say to them, if you want to tell someone, I will help you and I'll say that I just witnessed what occurred. And if you need to, if that person is distressed, you can try linking them with people who can provide them with professional support. So you might suggest to a person who's distressed by bullying that they contact somewhere like Kids Helpline or eHeadspace or Beyond Blue, where they can speak with a free confidential counsellor. Um, and if you know someone who's struggling with bullying, it can also be really helpful to invite them to take part in fun activities with you to try and incorporate them a bit more within your own friendship group if you can. Um, just to cut down on that isolation, because a lot of students who've been bullied and were asked what helped said, look, just having other students or other people reach out to me in concern and show me that sympathy and support was one of the most helpful things they could have done. Can you tell us as well what fogging is? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Fogging was talked about, um, oh, I can't say who came up with the term, but I've mostly heard Ken Rigby, who's a bullying academic, talk about fogging. Fogging is a term that some people who have been bullied verbally or socially have found to be helpful. So this is where you essentially don't give the person who's bullying you anything to work from. So if someone says something like, you know, you're, I don't know, you've got very red hair, you might respond by saying, yeah, it is red. Or, um, you know, you've got a very loud voice. Yeah, I do have a loud voice. So it can be a case of sort of appearing to agree with that person, but really appearing to be very bored and unimpressed by their behaviour and giving them no more material to work from at all. Having said that, though, if you're someone who's experiencing physical bullying or if the bullying is very, very serious, um, something like fogging is not going to necessarily address that and we would certainly encourage that student to speak to a trusted adult. What's your advice for parents and teachers who feel helpless in a bullying situation? Well, I think it's important to remember that they may be struggling and these situations can be very difficult, but they are not helpless. And one of the most important things that parents and teachers and other adults can do is from a very early age to normalise talking about how we treat each other, how we live our values, what we've seen other people doing and how that made us feel. So the more we can normalise talking um, to children about conduct and relationships, um, the more likely it is that they're going to come forward when something does go wrong. Because we know a lot of um, students who've been bullied don't want to tell an adult about it um, because they're afraid of how the adult might react or they think they're not going to be believed. So one thing that adults can absolutely do in advance is lay those foundations of trust and communication with a child. So keep that conversation going from an early age. If you're an adult and you've found out that a child has been bullied, what we suggest you do to start with is to listen very calmly, try and help that child put what has happened into words and find out everything that's happened. And sometimes a child may need to tell you the story a couple of times before you get the sequence of events straight. Um, we do um, suggest that you, you know, affirm the child's feelings, make it very clear that the bullying wasn't okay, they didn't deserve it, and that you're very glad they did tell you because a lot of children are quite reluctant to disclose. Um, we'd suggest you put together a bit of a record of everything that's happened. So that might involve writing down a little log of incidents, or if the bullying's happen online, it might involve um, taking screenshots. 
And we advise parents in particular to make formal times with the school um, to address it. And as much as possible for parents to model the sort of calm and respectful behaviour that they're wanting to see. We also do suggest that if you've had an, uh, a meeting with the school about addressing something, um, that you do set follow-up meeting times and continue to check in respectfully with the school around how are these strategies working. Uh, it can also be helpful um, for parents to familiarise themselves with the school's own anti-bullying strategy. Most schools will have an anti-bullying policy that's usually on their website. And it can be useful as a parent to go into a meeting um, to be able to politely say, well, I understand that this is what the school has said they're going to do. And I do just want to check that we are following our own rules here. In the meantime, um, it is also helpful to help children to build their own strength and confidence in other spaces. So for example, if schools become a place where the child is not feeling very comfortable or not feeling very welcome, um, there may be opportunities to build confidence in different settings. So whether this is just with extended family or in a sports or a cultural or a religious setting. Um, and of course, if you have a child who's been distressed as a result of bullying, um, we do suggest connecting them with counselling services. Um, and there's GPs and psychologists who offer, for example, telehealth sessions. And there's free and confidential services such as Parent Line and Kids Helpline that will offer families support over the phone, but also through various web-based counselling services too. And Jesse, what's one question you'd love to have answered about bullying? I would like to know which setting has provided the safest and most bullying-free environment for children. So although we know schools are places where, unfortunately, bullying certainly does occur, children also spend a lot of their lives in other spaces as well, whether that's playing on a sporting team or volunteering or um, being part of a community of faith, for example. I would love to have a clearer picture of which spaces do children regard as the safest spaces where they are the least worried about being bullied and how can schools and other places learn from that. That sounds like a very interesting research opportunity. It does. Before we go, I just wanted to ask you one more question, which is what's your message of hope? Mm. Well, something I'd like to highlight, we at the Alana and Madeline Foundation are really proud to partner with Dolly's Dream. Um, which came into being to spread a message of kindness at a really dark time um, in response to the tragedy of bullying. And what we've seen as a result in terms of the public response has been quite extraordinary. So we've seen thousands of communities dressing in blue, holding events to mark Do It for Dolly Day, expressing extraordinary support online um, and getting in touch with each other via the Dolly's Dream Facebook community um, to swap their own experiences and tips and advice. The community response to Dolly's Dream in particular was so um, authentic and so grassroots and so sincere um, that I think it served as a really beautiful reminder to everyone that there's this huge willingness in the community to speak out against bullying. Um, it's now about connecting with other people and figuring out what you can do to make the greatest difference where you live. And that was Jessie Mitchell, Senior Advisor Bullying at the Alana and Madeline Foundation. The key resources we mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please tell someone about it today, after your run, cleaning, or whatever it is that you've been doing. That's it for now. Go with hope.